It's a privilege to be here today and always an honor to, to be able to speak in front of you. And, and uh, we have been praying about this week. You know, this is a, like Pastor Jeremy said, this is, this is our week. This is our Super Bowl, right, as Christians? This is it. You know, they, they uh, always measure, you know, uh, the Sundays that people are mostly likely to go to church. This is it. Easter Sundays, the big, the big one, the big one. You know, Mother's Day's big, Father's Day not so much. I'm not sure what that means, but it's um, and Christmas, of course. But those are the three big ones in in church life, where people who don't normally go to church not only are more aware that there's church and it would be more acceptable to go, but even people who nominally go go. So it's a great, great opportunity. So. Well, I'm excited about what we're doing today. We're going to finish this series about one another, and we're starting a new series next Sunday. But today, I want to just finish this about one another. And we talked last week about how one another, you can find that phrase in the New Testament 50-some times. It's in there. And really, that's what the Bible's about, is how to relate to God first and then to one another. The entire story of the Bible, in fact, if you think about it as, a, as an overarching story, the, the whole story of the Bible is about the fact that God created us for relationship with himself. And then we, we mess up the relationship. We do things that break relationship with him. And, if, and in most cases, when somebody breaks relationship with you, you kind of step back and say, okay, that's fine. You need to fix this. God doesn't leave it there. He's not satisfied with that. What he does is he pursues relationship with us. He pursues relationship and he desires to restore that relationship. Even people who want nothing to do with him, he is continually working to restore that relationship. I know I look back at my life and I can see that there were times where maybe I was unaware of him working in my life. He still is working. And in, in hindsight, I can look back and I can see where he's provided for me in ways that I, I couldn't have planned on. And I couldn't have done myself, but he did. I look back and see ways he protected me when I was, I was just oblivious to the fact that he was there and working on my behalf. And that's just me. And I know he does that for every one of us. Talk to people who've come to Christ in, in maybe their adult years, and then they look back and think, oh, I'm so grateful. I can see where God... He, he ended this relationship when I would have kept it going, but it was one that was destructive to me. Or he moved me here, or he moved me here, and they can see God's hand working in their lives. And that's the story of the Bible. That's what he does. As you read the scripture, you know, you can see kind of the main stories where you see creation, and then you see, you know, Noah. And then as you work through there, and God is continually reaching out to his, his creation. He sends them prophets, and they don't listen, Right? Then he sends them kings, and he, he picks Israel and tells the, the Jews, you're going to be my people, and you're going to be my witnesses to the entire world, and you're going to show them about me. He keeps doing that. And then ultimately, he sends his very own son. He pursues us to restore relationship, and he sends his son, Jesus. And we, you know, of course, are celebrating Jesus last week on earth during this next week. And he sends Jesus. We're told he's the exact representation of the Father. And as we talked about before, you want to know how God is? You want to know how God responds? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus' life and how he responds to people. And that's God's response, because that's God. You want to know what God expects from us? Then look at Jesus. Because the way he lived and the way he talked and the way he responded is the way God wants us to respond and live and act and talk. 
That's how it is. So today I thought, you know what, let's, let's do this. Let's take a look at one encounter that one person had with Jesus and see what we can learn about how we should respond to everybody else around us based on this one incident. It's one story. It's just a few verses long. Let's, let's read it together. This is in Mark 10. It says, then they, just so you know, the they is Jesus and his disciples, which it says in a minute, reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. You know, large crowds followed him everywhere. They followed for a lot of reasons, didn't they? Some wanted to see more, sh- more of the show. Wouldn't you have seen that? I, d- I don't know about you, but I, there's a lot of places where I've lived, you know, in L.A. and different places where um, they have street performers. I love that kind of stuff. I'll never forget, you know, seeing some of the things I've seen and think, how in the world could that possibly happen? Can you imagine following Jesus, though? Really? Seeing withered hands come back to life? Seeing people who couldn't walk all of a sudden walk? Seeing people healed who'd been sick forever and ever? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Here's what happens. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, I love how the Bible does this, kind of helps us with our, with our Hebrew. <laughs> Anywhere you see bar, B-A-R in scripture, that's son of. So like Johnson, you know, son of John, Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. Anybody ever seen a blind person? I mean, really a blind person? We don't see that a whole lot anymore, it seems like. I remember seeing people, though, growing up, you know, someone with a cane or whatever, and in our society today, we do as much as we can to support those people and make sure that their, their life is as normal as possible. Not so in this culture. Not so in this time in humanity. Now, I, I know it's, it's difficult for us to put ourselves in that kind of even position at all. But to think that we, you would have no idea what, not only what things look like, but what's coming and, and no way to support yourself other than begging. That's it. So he's sitting by the road, and if you were Bartimaeus, and you'd heard the crowd coming, and you'd already heard about Jesus. Now, maybe maybe what Bartimaeus was hearing is, as the people running ahead, hey, Jesus is coming. Maybe he's going to do something cool right here. Maybe someone's going to walk again. Maybe someone's going to be healed from their sickness. Can you imagine what would go on in your heart and mind? Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby. He began to shout. Wouldn't you shout? Wouldn't you shout? You couldn't keep me quiet for nothing. He shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's using that that royal term, that royal title, son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's shouting. I would shout. Wouldn't you shout? (laughs) You could not keep me quiet. I would be shouting and, and nothing would stop me from shouting. And here's what the crowd did. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him, be quiet. You're embarrassing us. Be quiet. He's not here for you. Be quiet. Wait your turn. (laughs) But I love him. He only shouted louder. He only shouted louder. They tried to quiet him down because I have many reasons we'll talk about, but he only shouted louder. And Jesus heard him. He stopped and he said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. I love how they switch. Aren't we weird this way? 
We're so two-faced and so two-sided. At the one hand, they're, hey, shut up. Oh, wait, hey, now he wants to see you. Cheer up. Get happy now. He's, he's going to listen to you now. So now they're all buddy-buddy with him. Probably because they're thinking he's going to know what I look like in a minute. And just kidding. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. Why would a blind man do that? How's he going to find his coat? Seriously. Seriously. You know what I have to think? Nothing else mattered. He had to get to Jesus. He'd been called and he threw it all aside. Some people have said, well, maybe he had already had so much faith he knew he was going to see in a minute and and that was the least thing on his mind because he'd find it later. He didn't even know what it looked like. (laughs) Threw it away. And he jumped up and he came to Jesus. I've only known a few truly blind people in my life, but one thing that's always amazed me, especially someone who's been blind from birth, is how aware of their surroundings they really are. Now, a lot of times when they're walking, they look cautious, but they are very, very aware. And when it says he jumped up and came to Jesus, in my mind's eye, I see him jumping up and never breaking stride. Because he can tell how far Jesus is just from his voice, and he knows that crowd is parting, and he runs to Jesus. Runs to Jesus. In the next part of this, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? My rabbi, the blind man says, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. So what we can learn, what can we learn about this story? I think there's a lot of things in here for us today, a lot of things. The first thing that hits me really hard is Bartimaeus wasn't in the in crowd. You have to know this. There's a strata of society back then that was really drastically different than today. As I mentioned a minute ago, we try to honor people with disabilities. We try to provide for them. As a society, we try to take care of them. We we have handicapped parking. We we take the curb down so it's easier for people to have access. We we limit stairways without elevators. And we try to do this as a society. We try to extend a love and care and concern that, frankly, didn't exist in this this, uh, world that we're looking at here today. He wasn't in. I, wanna, I want you to really hear this. He would never have been invited to someone's house or a party or those dinners that Jesus went to when it says the Pharisees invited him. Do you know who was invited? The rich people were invited. The people with nice clothes, the people who had means, the people who were in society. Never Bartimaeus. Do you, do you know how he begged? He didn't probably stand and beg. Now, the, the one time that I've actually seen a beggar who was really blind, I, I happened to be in, in Paris, and I was walking in the gates to Notre Dame, and this, as I turned the corner, this man stuck a cup in my chest, and <laughs> stupid reaction, I just took it, because what do you do when someone hands you something? You take it. And then I looked, and he had those white blind eyes, and they were a little whiter because I took his cup. <laughs> And I said, sorry about that. And I was so in shock. But I'll bet you Bartimaeus didn't even look as nice as this guy. 
you, you realize he was sitting in the dirt most of his life. You realize he was clothed in filth. Part of that probably was because you're going to get more money if you look more desperate, right? But he's never going to be in. He's never going to be included. There's never a time where he's going to be invited. There's never a time where someone's going to think about him and say, hey, let's do something nice for him. What's sad is, even though people completely rejected him, he heard everything. You realize that, right? A lot of times, people like him, they, they would be completely ignored. And, and then as we ignore them, we end up having conversations around him, not even realizing he's right there. And because he's probably got a heightened sense of hearing, he not only hears everything, but he hears when they talk about him. And as the parents say, go give that poor man something. Go give that pitiful person something. And jerk their kid away and say, okay, that's enough. Stop looking at him. Stop staring. He heard it all. He probably heard the conversations that they said about each other too. And as they had a greeting right in front of him, and then as they walked away and they're like, I can't stand her. She's such a phony. He heard all that too. He knew it all. And they didn't even realize. When they were making plans right in front of him and talking about what they were going to do later in the day, knowing he wasn't included and he heard it all people talking about their adventures, talking to each other. He was the ultimate fly on the wall, always there, always begging, a fixture. He he asked in the wrong way. You realize that, right? And we do this, don't we? A lot of times we're more than willing to help people or give, but, but if they ask in the wrong way, we're a lot less willing. There's something about it where we have kind of these weird standards, like if he's, if he's begging and yelling and screaming, we say, shh, shh, shh. You're embarrassing me. And we shush him. And Jesus is saying, I hear him, and I want him to come to me. But we're standing between them saying, stop asking that way. You don't look right. You don't fit. You're too loud. You're too dirty. It's it's too much. You're too needy. You're too angry. I wonder sometimes, though, if it's almost a mirror of what we see in our own soul, and it just reminds us of our own depravity. And because of that, we react that way. I know a lot of people probably that day and every day figured, it's not my responsibility. It's not my problem or my fault that he can't get to Jesus. He desperately needs Jesus, maybe more than me, but it's not my problem. It's his problem. Maybe his parents, there's got to be someone else to take care of, and we think it's someone else's deal. Because Bartimaeus is there every day, and it's not my fault. I mean, I didn't do it. You probably heard that. It was already on fire when I showed up. I mean, I, I didn't do it. I think of Bart Simpson, too. What did he say? What me? You can't prove it. Nobody saw me or whatever he said. You heard this about everybody. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job, but everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it, and it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. It's just not my problem. I think another problem is Bartimaeus had needs they couldn't even relate to. It's funny, when we, when, when we have a problem, we, it's so weird, isn't it? We think our problem is everybody's problem. Or we think, I'm the only one who's ever felt it like this. Or we, we kind of overdo it, like, this is me, and the whole world's got to stop for me. But when it's somebody else, 
we can't relate to that because we don't have their issue. I mean, I mean, part of me, I mean, you've maybe done this too, where you've walked around the house in the dark and, and we grew up doing that kind of as an adventure. And I appreciate that because you, you grow up, you know, not being afraid of the dark, but, but to really know what it's like to be blind, blind, we don't know. We couldn't know. And sometimes when we can't relate to it, maybe it's somebody's pain. Maybe it's somebody who's experienced a, a tragic loss and the, the grief they're going through makes us uncomfortable because we don't get it. We don't understand it. We haven't experienced it. And because of that, we don't, we don't quite try to relate as much because it's just, we can't. Sometimes we get a little self-righteous and superior because we don't have their problem. I don't know. I think sometimes we're overwhelmed because we can't meet their need in the first place. Their need is so big, so big that we can't even get involved. Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's, it's a problem in their marriage that is so big that we think, oh, I can't even get into this because I, I have no answers. I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to do. We feel powerless. Maybe they felt so powerless, and that's why they didn't want to help him because they figured, I can't fix this. Some of us, you know, we're fixers. We want to fix everything. And, you know, typically guys, you know, men and women, one of the problems in relating to men and women, a lot of times women want to be heard and men want to fix when they need to just listen. We can't fix it. And when we can't fix it, it's so big, we just struggle with that. And we struggle to have relationship because we can't fix it. We know we can't fix it. It reminds me, guys are so funny this way. When, a few years ago, our bus broke down. We were at a ranger event. And, you, and probably ranger leaders are more like this than others. You know, I've, I've, I probably had 50 guys ask me, you got gas in it, right? <laughs> be like, after like the second one, I was about ready to strangle somebody. Really? Really? <laughs> okay, yeah, I got gas, you know, but... Um, you know what we do? Because we can't fix it, we assume God's not going to fix it. You guys, we're, we're connected to the king of the universe. We're connected to the ultimate fixer, the creator. He made it in the first place. And I think a lot of times because we don't have an answer, we don't even take him to the one we know does have the answer. We don't even go to him. You know, it's, it's weird. Sometimes we don't even pray, but you can pray, you can care, you can come alongside. You may not be able to fix the whole thing, but you might be able to fix a part of it. I think some of the problem was he was a threat to them. He was a a threat to the status quo. I mean, picture the scene. Jesus has got a crowd around him. What are you going to try to do? How many people tried to get to the fixer-uppers this week? Right? (laughs) Didn't you want to be close? Imagine if it was Jesus himself. You want to be close. Are you going to share that spot with him? No, I want to be there. I want to be as close to Jesus as possible. I want to be a, have a good view. I mean, what if he grows a hand again? How cool would that be? What if, he, what if he cures a leper? I want to see that. And sometimes we want to be close and we neglect the people who need to be where we are. He was a threat to their status. He was a threat. That, you know, it's sometimes it's like there's such a good thing with God and we forget that we need to share. I want to just encourage you, the spotlight around Jesus is big enough for everybody. His spotlight's big enough. It can, there's a lot, enough to go around. I wonder if they thought maybe he was, wasn't important enough to be that close to Jesus. I wonder if, I wonder if, 
wonder if because we realize that when you include people like that, like Bartimaeus, people with that much need, it's going to change everything. We, we know that, though, instinctively, don't we? we? We all hear all the time that organizations and businesses and groups and churches and friends, we all have kind of a, a stasis, a status quo, and as an organism, we, our body tries to stay in stasis. That's why it's so hard to lose weight sometime. Or, or when you add a person to a working group, you, you've all got to make adjustments to fit that person in. Or, I mean, that's life. That's how it is. And adding a person like him was going to change things. I wonder sometimes, too, I think, if Jesus was just shaking his head because just a few verses earlier, this is what he told his disciples. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. I wonder, I mean, this happened right after Jesus told his disciples this. I wonder if part of him wanted to say, guys, remember what I just said a few minutes ago? You could have put it in practice right now. You could have served him instead of yourself. I mean, I, and I don't know how it looked. I don't know if the disciples were trying to, hey, hey, hold on, man, we're his disciples. We stand in front. I don't know. When they should have been bringing Bartimaeus to Jesus, that's what they should have been doing. Our youth pastor and, his, and the youth ministry, they have some great, just great um, uh, mission vision for their youth ministry. What, the, way they, the way they say this, oh, oh, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, to give his life as a ransom for many. Disciples serve. They say saved people serve people. Do, do you see that? Christians, disciples of Christ, us, we're supposed to serve. They should have been not saying shh to him. They should have been fighting each other to get him to Jesus. No, 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 I'm going to bring him. No, no, I'm going to bring him. No, I'm going to bring him. That's what should have happened. That's where the fight and argument should have been, is who could get him to Jesus first. And instead, it was the other way around. Being a leader means you serve more than anybody else. I heard it said this way, and it's, just, it's, it's convicting and challenging all at the same time. As you climb the ladder of success, you serve more. Let me say this. As you get closer to Jesus, you serve more. As you get closer to Jesus, it becomes more about them and less about you. Less about your rights and more about theirs. Less about your access to him and more about them and what they need. So let's take a look at the way Jesus responded. He responded in a totally different way. He said, bring him to me. You know what Jesus told them in that? He basically was saying, you are your brother's keeper. You, you don't think so, but you are. How sad it is, isn't it, isn't it? Because even in the first murder recorded in Scripture, Cain and Abel, and when God confronts him, Cain says, what, if I'm her brother's keeper? And we still have to be told that over and over. We, we never learn. Yeah, you are your brother's keeper. Jesus also teaches us that we're intricately tied to the beggar. We're all beggars, and we should be showing that beggar where the bread is, not fighting to keep it for ourselves. It's just good manners, isn't it? Serving them before you serve yourself. Isn't that what we're taught? Someone asked for something at the table, and we said, well, let me get a little first. No, you serve them first. 
We should be looking for people to serve. Really, if you think about this, the disciples should have been, had like a forward action party. And as they were walking ahead of Jesus said, hey, Jesus is coming in a minute. Come up here. I want you to be in the right spot to meet him. Right? Not an afterthought. Not him passing by and have to yell himself. We should be doing that. It reminds me of what Paul says in Romans 15. He says, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. And then skipping ahead to verses 6 and 7. Then all of you can join together in one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given glory. That's it. That's it. We're not supposed to be pleasing ourselves. We're supposed to be in complete harmony. It's fitting for followers of Christ. So what else do we learn from that Bartimaeus story? I have always chuckled a little bit at Jesus' question to him. You could see the scene, right? He cries out, have mercy on me. They finally bring the blind guy up there. And Jesus says, so what do you want me to do for you? You had to wonder what people were thinking. Uh... Blindness? Eyes? You know what I really think, though? Jesus was asking way more than that. If you think about it, Jesus is actually the answer to his own question. Jesus is the answer to that question. What do you want me to do for you? We always go to the simple, straightforward need on the front of our face. I need gas money. I need this. I need this. Before any of those... You need Jesus. He needed Jesus. Yes, he needed to see. Yes, Jesus healed him, but he needed Jesus. He needed a relationship with the healer, actually more than he needed the healing. He needed Jesus is what he needed. He needed him desperately. I think a lot of times when we ask that question, what do you want me to do for you, we We present our world with a bunch of answers that they're really not even asking questions about. You know, a lot of times, Christians, as we as we become, you know, older in the faith and we know more things, our issues change a lot of times than what what the world is asking. And we've got things we can talk about forever, and and we can debate things about Scripture, and and you know, a lot of our answers we want to give people have to do with truth and morality and the Bible. And I love those things. I have a degree in religion. I love that. But a lot of times, people are really asking questions about what they perceive their greatest need is. Sometimes we become oblivious to their real question, their real need, and we walk right over it. We've gotta, we need to love them and notice them and ask them, what, they, what do you need me to do for you? How can I help you? A lot of times, we turn people away not by telling them just to be quiet, but because they're asking not only for the wrong thing, but in the wrong way. And they need Jesus. They need Jesus. I love how he calls out to him. Remember when he said, my rabbi? My rabbi. I bet you that wrinkled some people. Really. My, what do you mean, your rabbi? No, you're the dirty beggar. He's my rabbi. I dress nicer than you. I look nicer to you. I live better than you. I go to church every week. He's my rabbi. Nah, he's his rabbi too. He's his rabbi. I think sometimes that Jesus is actually closer to those in need 
Because he desperately loves them and cares for them and wants to meet that need. And we don't even notice the need sometimes because we feel like we got the market cornered on relationship with Jesus, and that's what they need. I wonder sometimes how often I call him my Jesus. He's mine. He's ours. He's his. He's yours. He's theirs. He answers him and he says, I want to see. I want to see. I want to see. Everybody knew he needed to see, right? They knew that's what he was going to say. Because a lot of times we look at somebody and it seems so obvious to us what they need. And, and, and we, I wonder if our needs are that obvious to everybody else too. We're not aware of it, but we're walking around and we're just as clearly blind as he was. Just as clearly dirty, just as clearly soiled, just as clearly not worthy of Jesus as we think he is. And I wonder sometimes if, if sometimes in somebody's need, they seem even proud of it. Or I wonder this, I feel like God spoke this to me and it just hurt my feelings. Has it ever happened to you? I felt like he was saying, are, are you going to hold my need against me for the rest of my life, even after Jesus meets it? I think, too, when he said, I want to see, Jesus saw his real need. You know what he needed to see? He needed to see Jesus. We, we all need to see Jesus. That's all of our need. When Jesus said, what do you need me to do for you? And he said, I want to see, that should have been the cry of everybody in the crowd. I want to see not just, not just the things around and colors and people and, and pets and think of all the things he'd never seen and, and the beauty, not just that, but to see spiritually. He, he wasn't just physically blind, he was spiritually blind. And we're all spiritually blind. We're all, we're all struggling to see clearly and to see more clearly. But the thing is, Jesus is not only the answer for him, but he's, he's the answer for us. He needed to see, and we don't know how old he was. The Bible calls him a man, and usually when it refers to a man, it's talking about someone in their 20s, 30s in Scripture. And, and really, the life expectancy during those years was 35, 40. It wasn't very long. How long was he going to see? I mean, how much could he possibly have seen? But that's not what he really needed. He needed to see for eternity. And that's the answer Jesus was about to give him. Sometimes... We don't see it, and we miss what's right in front of us. What are the Bartimaeuses asking you for? Looks like a Dr. Seuss word, doesn't it? What are they asking for? We're all surrounded by Bartimaeuses all the time. All the time. Everywhere you go. You go to Quick Trip, if you go to your Hy-Vee, or you go wherever you go. You're surrounded by Bartimaeuses. You're surrounded by Bartimaeuses at work. You're surrounded by Bartimaeuses at, at your dinner table. A lot of us are going to meet with family over this holiday coming up, and there's going to be Bartimaeuses around the table there, and they're blind. They're blind to the spiritual realities of the world, which you sometimes take for granted. Let me turn this even further. You're blind to their blindness, and you're blind to their true need because you're used to it. You've walked by them a million times, and they're crying out, and they're saying, 
Son of David, have mercy on me. They're not asking the right way, and they're not even asking for the right kind of healing, but they need it just as desperately as we do. And maybe they don't fit. You know what? I, I think about that a lot because I, I grew up in the church. I, I grew up kind of in the transition between when women weren't supposed to wear makeup and do certain things, and then they were, and movies and not, and dancing and not, and and it was weird sometimes because we would put sometimes these external things on when the fact is they need Jesus. They need Jesus. And if we, if we love them and we accept them and we show them our relationship with him and we let them meet our rabbi and he becomes their rabbi, their lives will change. We were passing out these cards. Pastor Jeremy mentioned these little, look like business cards. It says Easter on them. Everybody have one of these? Could you pull it out right now? And you may, it may be deep. I appreciate Cindy was digging around finding this for me because here I walked by them a million times and didn't grab one myself. Could you pull this out, please? Where do you have it? Anybody not have one? Okay, good. I'm, I, I say good only because there's not as many as you as I was worried about. But it says right on here, you're invited. Easter at Crown Point Church. And on the back it says, uh, pancakes at, at uh, 9 a.m., service at 10, and then Easter egg hunt at 11.15. This is only for kids, just, just so you're saying. But I'm going to ask you to do something this week. I'm going to ask you to give this to a Bartimaeus. This, as I said before, is the week, the week in the year where more people are likely to go to church than any other time. They're more open and willing to go than any other time statistically, it's a friend or relative that gets someone to come to Jesus. Not, I mean, people do come because of TV and all these other things, but, but 80-some percent, it's a friend or relative. It's you. I want you to hold this up for just a minute. I want you to hold it up because you're his hands this week. You're the plan A. I want you to hold it up, and I want us to just... If you just close your eyes for a second, and I, I'm not asking you even to stand on the corner and pass these out. What I'm asking is that there's someone in your life that God would put on your heart and mind that would come if you hadn't invited them. It's not a guilt thing or a pressure thing. It's someone who you know needs Jesus. They're blind and they need this. Who would that be? And I want us to pray for them right now, all of us. So you pray as I pray, Father. I pray for the Bartimaeuses in our life right now, and I pray, God, that you would use this little tiny tool to invite one of them to come. And God, beyond that, I pray that you would start to work on their heart and mind and whatever, whatever walls and defenses they built up against a relationship with you, that you would melt that down and work on them all week long. And God, that you would create a, a hunger and an expectancy that they would cry out for you just like Bartimaeus did that day. And that, God, you would meet them and change their life like you've changed ours. That's what we pray for with this. That you would help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. You're not limited to one. <laughs> We've got more than one for you, but I want to challenge you to do that. You know, when Jesus was here on earth in the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday was an exciting day. But as we've already mentioned twice, they didn't get it. One week later, they crucified him. On that day, though, on Palm Sunday, Scripture talks about he came, into the, he came into Jerusalem, 
And then after all the hoopla was over and the cheering had died down, the Bible says he looked at Jerusalem and he wept over the city. You know why? Because he knew they didn't get it. And he said, how I have longed to pull you in and comfort you. He longs to have that relationship with people. And really, he does that today. And just like today, just like then, people were looking for some kind of salvation in the wrong place. They were looking for, you know, we're in a political season, and and people think that who we vote for is going to save the world. And the fact is, whoever we put our hope in, they're going to disappoint us. For most of us, we've been disappointed multiple times just in the last few months. And the more hope you put in that, the more disappointment you're going to experience. And don't get me wrong, it matters. I want you to vote, and I want you to pray, and I want you to vote for, for the ones you feel like God is leading you to vote for and that, that, that line up with biblical values, no question. But what I want you to hear is the fact is, just as Jesus stood outside that city and wept for them, he stands outside our city, our country, and weeps for us. Because the real answer is Jesus. That's the answer. That's that's the answer that changes lives and changes values. That's the answer. People look for hope in politics and in people and jobs and achievement and money and status and power and, and relationships and pleasure and escape, and that's not where the answer is. What our world needs today is another triumphal entry, entry, but one that really works, but a triumphal entry into their hearts that changes them forever. What they need is for when they call out and say, Son of David, have mercy on me, that he meets them at their need and heals not only their physical needs, their physical blindness, but their spiritual blindness. And where just as Bartimaeus did, they follow him afterward. That's what he chose to do. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you would just shut your eyes for a moment, everybody in the room. Today, Jesus asks us a question. It's a simple question. It's the same one he asked Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? Many of us are Christians and have been Christians a long time, but it's quite possible that there's somebody here today and you are Bartimaeus. You need him today and you're crying out to him. Anybody like that? You want to start a relationship with him today? Anybody at all? Just raise your hand really quick and we'll pray with you. Anybody at all? I do see the hand in the back there. Anybody else? I see that hand too. Anyone else? All right, we're going to pray for those people right now. And those two that raised their hand, here's what I would like you to do. We're going to, I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer after me. And this prayer, it can be said a lot of different ways, but the bottom line is it's you saying that you're sorry for the things you've done wrong. You want to apply Jesus' sacrifice to your sin, and you want a relationship with him, and you want him to come in and change your life. So please, I would like everybody to repeat after me. And worship team, if you could join me up here, just repeat after me. Father God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. I'm sorry for the things that have separated me from relationship with you. I want you to come into my life and make me different. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. And for the rest of us, just keep your eyes closed for one more minute. Because that, that question goes to all of us. What do you want me to do for you? 
So I know that there are Christians here. We also have needs. And we also come to Jesus and we say, I want to see. Maybe your heart's cry right now is to see the Bartimaeuses more clearly. Maybe God has already put someone specific on your heart and mind, and you want to lift him up in prayer. You want to lift her up in prayer. You want to lift them up in prayer. And if that's true for you, if you are sitting here today and you're saying, I need prayer today for anything at all, just raise your hand real quick. We're going to pray together. I appreciate those hands. As our worship team leads us, I'd like to have you all stand. We are going to pray for everybody who raised your hand just now, but if you would like special prayer, if you would like, I, I feel like we need to take opportunity. If you're part of the prayer team or pastor, pastor's wife, board member, board member wife, would you come down and just going to spend a moment and pray for needs. If you have any needs, maybe you're like Bartimaeus, you're saying, I need to see, whatever it is. If you would just like to come and join us, we want to pray for you for a minute. Then I'll pray for everybody as we leave. <clears throat>